Bible's with you this morning. I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 6. As we continue to take a look at the early church and uh, exciting things that were happening. As we look, um, as we look this morning, we come uh, to a story of a man named Stephen. And uh, Stephen was special, some special things that were going for him. And so as we, uh, as we prepare our hearts, let's come together uh, before the Lord. Beginning in verse 8 of chapter 6. And since Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you this morning, Father, we ask that you would meet us in this place. God, that, that your word would be alive to us. Father, that your spirit would move, and God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive the beauty that your word lays out for us this morning, God, that you might be glorified and magnified in this place. We lay it before you now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we look at Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we see that Something indeed is coming upon the church. We've seen the, the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles in power. We see the church born. 3,000 souls, men, added that day. Later on, the number climbs to 5,000. The scripture tells us every day people are being added to the family of God. There's a problem that arises in the church. And, and some of the Hellenists, those who spoke Greek, uh, their Jewish brothers... Felt like their widows were, were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So they asked for servant leaders to come up, to be willing. Men full of the Holy Spirit and able to do what God had called them to do. And we see the men gather and choose seven from their midst. The first one mentioned in that list prior to verse 8 is a guy named Stephen. Now the scripture lays out for us that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. That Stephen was full of faith and grace and that the power of God was moving through him. In fact, when we back up and we take a look at verse 5, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Prochorus, a Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. The word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see even the Levites in the temple. When the people would gather, they gathered corporately at the temple in Jerusalem. And they, they taught there in the courtyards. And even the priests, the priests who are doing the daily sacrifice, the priests who are, have been doing business as usual through the time of Christ, and to this point, they begin to hear and their lives change. And they begin to follow the teachings of the, the disciples, the teachings of the apostles. Now we don't know how much time passes from verse 7 to verse 8. But all of a sudden you see Stephen in a totally different light, don't you? Something happened. Something changed. Now granted, he was full of the Holy Spirit and, and he was full of power even back in the beginning when they laid hands on him. But now... Something has radically changed in his life. Spurgeon has said that in order for a man to become a minister, he has to be able to turn his back on the world and put both hands 
on the Christ. And I think Spurgeon has it right. I think as we look at the book of Acts and we wonder, where is the power of the church today? Well, the power of the church hasn't left. It's still the same place it always was. But so often today, the church tries to exist with one hand on Christ and one hand on the world. Jesus himself said that you will either serve mammon or the Lord. But you can't do both. Man begins to divide his world into secular and sacred. And secular is that thing we do on Sundays. Maybe even Sunday nights and and perhaps even Wednesday nights. But the rest of the day, that's that's secular. That's where I go and and do the things that I need to do to, to make a living, to make a life. And I was challenged this past week, uh, going through a book I was reading, and the author of the book asked a question. He asked the question, what motivates you, God or gold? For which do you arise in the morning? For which do you spend the day? Where is your focus? Where is the, 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 the reason behind everything you do. Is it God? Or is it gold? Which way do we live our lives? Sometimes we think, well, living for God is a fine thing. You know, get your life together first and, and get an education and then you'll have something to fall back on. Have you ever heard that? Let me ask you a question. What is there to fall back on should God fail? I don't know. But I remember when, uh, when the Lord first called me into ministry. I'm about 30 years old. I'm, I just started uh, going to Bible college. I had met the goals. I had a bunch of goals until I was 30. And, and, and I had met those goals. And I was kind of wondering where, where should I go now? What, what is life really about? And I ran into a new believer. And I had been an old believer. You know, and, and my life was definitely divided in the secular and sacred. I had uh, Sunday church, that was it. And all week long, serving gold. Building up my kingdom. And God called me. I felt this call of God. I, I began, this new believer talked me into going to Bible college. The next thing I knew, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to study, I wanted to learn, I wanted to know. And I began to feel a call of God in my life. And little by little, the Lord started asking me to let go of things. And I remember talking to my dad. My father had been an assistant pastor and had been in the ministry. And I told my dad, I thought that God was calling me into the ministry. And as I followed him in the ministry, I had this feeling, this this idea that my life was going to radically change. And my dad said two things I'll never forget. One, he said, well, you'll grow out of that. Well, that was more than 20 years ago. And I'm still here. So I am thankful to say I haven't grown out of that yet. The second thing he said is, well, just make sure as you're preparing for ministry that you have something to fall back on. But Spurgeon said, for a man to follow God, he's got to turn his back on the world and grab onto the Lord with both hands. And when we look at that and we consider that thing that Spurgeon wrote, when we think of a minister, well, we think of the preacher, the fellow who's prayed to stand up and entertain us on a Sunday morning, right? He's got to have good jokes and good stories and lead a, you know, decent life anyways. Can't tell bad stories and do bad things. Got to be a good guy. But the word minister and the word diaconia, they're the same. The word we talked about for servant leaders are where we get the phrase the deacons, those who serve around the church and fulfill different positions of leadership in the church. It's the same. The word for minister is simply servant or slave. The word for deacon is simply servant or slave. It's if you want to serve God. Now let's back that up and think about what Spurgeon said. Instead of defining it as the preacher, let's define it as a person who wants to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said... If you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is ministry. Ministry begins by when the sun comes up in the morning, and it ends when we lay our head on a pillow that night. 
If you would follow the Lord in service, you got to let go of the world and grab a hold of Jesus. I don't feel the power of God in my life. I don't feel the Lord speaking to me and directing me. Could it be that you have one hand in each place? That the motivation for our week is gold rather than God? And perhaps if the change of focus, we might see God move in power. Look at verse 8. Look at what verse 8 says. And Stephen full of grace and power. Full of grace and power. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Well, up until this time in Acts chapter 6, the only people who had done that is Jesus and the apostles. But now Stephen's doing the same stuff. The same thing that the disciples did. He's moving in power. Could it be? Stephen let go of the world and held on to the Lord with both hands. Think about the the simple teaching of of Christ. We look in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. As Jesus was teaching the masses, listen to what he said. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth." And rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oftentimes people ask the question, have you given your heart to Jesus? According to Matthew chapter 6 Verse 19 through 21. Where your heart is. Where your treasure is. So the question, the motivation of my day is pertinent. Is the motivation of my day God or gold? Matthew 6 verse 31. Jesus said, therefore do not worry. Saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. He says, why are you worried about all these other things? Hey, the scripture calls us to be prudent. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be prudent, that we shouldn't be wise, that we shouldn't apply the wisdom that God has given us. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, why are we worried about it? Why do we worry about what's to fall back on? Why do we worry about what else is going to prop us up? Why do we worry? The Lord says, even the Gentiles ask for those things. For what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, how will I be cared for? How is life going to continue? How is life going to go on? The scripture says, the Father knows that you need all these things. But in verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's my motivation for my morning? God or gold? Where is my focus? Where is the lack of power in the church? I think something happened in Stephen. I think there was a a moment as Stephen was serving and as he's full of the Spirit and the Spirit is leading him that he became, became more and more dissatisfied with the world and more and more excited about what he could do for the Lord. Now that doesn't mean he quit his job. Obviously Stephen's still working until they take his life. He's still doing the things that he has to do, but now his life is about the Lord. Now he's moving in power. Now he's hearing from the Lord. Now he's touching people and they're being healed. Now he's praying. They're seeing God move in mighty ways. And and all this is happening because Stephen's heart is focused fully on the Lord. It says he's full of grace. The scripture said he's full of faith. If you're full, that means there's nothing else that you need to be poured into. Right? If my tank is full, you can't put no more gas in it. It's full. No more dollars. To the top. It's full. And that's what we see in Stephen. Stephen's full. He's full of these things. 
Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In Romans 14.4, listen to what he said. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or fall, or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Paul teaching in Romans 14 says we don't need anything else. God is able to supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. A long time ago, when I first came into ministry, I had an opportunity to opt out of Social Security. I got some bad advice or what maybe, well, we'll see bad or good advice now at some point. Back then, probably 15 years ago, I opted out. I'm not in Social Security. One of the things that they will allow a pastor to do. Why? Usually because salaries are a little lower and you can edge it up, make ends meet. So you can opt out. I opted out. So there's no retirement. There's no 401k or whatever those things are. I, I never had one before. The only time I ever had one, the guy I was working for stole it all anyway, so there wasn't anything in there. And uh, my retirement is the Lord. Well, the, the, the tribe of Levi got no inheritance in the land. Do you know that? They got no inheritance in the land. When they came into the land, God said, I'm not giving you any land. He said, I'm your inheritance. And that's how I feel. He's my inheritance. He's my inheritance. My God has never let me down. Not once. He's never left me empty where I didn't need to be empty. The Lord has always brought me through. And I can trust Him for He is able to make me stand. I don't have to think I've got to find some way to make it all work in the world so that I can do what I want to do for the Lord. I don't have to do that. I think Jesus wants it all. I don't think He wants a divided heart. I don't think He wants part of your life. I think He wants it all. All of it. Both hands laid hold of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what Paul would write. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Folks, I stake my life on the fact that the Word of God is utterly and completely true. It means what it says. It means exactly what it says. Listen to the example that Jesus gave us and consider it for a moment. Jesus, He came, He was born in a manger, not a prince in a palace. He was born of a virgin, so his entire life he looked like an illegitimate child to the world. He chose poverty rather than wealth, yet he has the cattle of a thousand hills. The famous one chose obscurity over popularity. The Almighty chose weakness rather than strength. He died the death of a condemned criminal, naked between two thieves. And he said, come Follow me. Think about it. He chose poverty to prove a man's life does not consist in the things he owns. He chose weakness to show that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He chose obscurity to prove that it profits a man nothing 
to gain the whole world and lose his soul. He chose a path deemed foolish to prove that God's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than ours. He chose death to prove if you seek to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. We know what Jesus chose. What do we choose? A.W. Tozer said something interesting. I just want to share this quote from, from one of his books. This is what he said. He said, a, a, a great deal can be learned about people by observing what they imitate. The weak, for instance, imitate the strong, never the reverse. The poor imitate the rich. The self-assured are imitated by the timid and the uncertain. The genuine is imitated by the counterfeit. And people all tend to imitate what they admire. Let that sink in a minute. People all tend to imitate what they admire. By this definition, power lies in the world. Not with the church. For it is the world that initiates and the church that imitates what she, the world, has initiated. By this definition, the church admires the world. The church is uncertain and looks to the world for assurance. A weak church is aping a strong world to the amusement of intelligent sinners and to her everlasting shame. We imitate what we admire. What do we imitate? Stephen was full of grace and power because he was imitating Christ. Because he let go of the draw and the pull of the world that says, there's got to be some other plan, some other way, some other system. I need to really be focused on all these other things. I need to live my life six days a week for gold so I can live one day of the week for God. Stephen would say, I can live seven days for God. And he'll provide. He'll do what's necessary in my life. And that's what he did. So he was full of grace, the scripture tells us. Full of grace. Listen, full of power. And he did great wonders and signs among the people. And so as he's going and as he's moving, this fullness of faith in his life, this fullness of grace, this fullness of power, it reminds me of of something out of Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn there with me, we'll take a look. Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that, that it, uh, is known as the Hall of Faith. Great men and women who have gone before us and walked the walk of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32, writer of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again. It's amazing the things that the, that the scripture lays out for us in Hebrews 11. Of what occurred through men and women of faith who lived their life with both hands on Christ. And the promises of God. Not people who escaped the world, ran out of the world, sat together in a circle wearing white, waiting for the Lord's return. People who lived in the world for Jesus Christ. That He was their motivation and the reason they got up in the morning. It totally changes our attitude at work. It totally changes that people take advantage of us at work. So what? I'm here to bear witness to Christ. So we do what we do to bear witness to Him. But that's not who I am. I am not what I do. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That's where my, my identity comes from. That needs to be our focus. But you see, the scripture doesn't tell us all the happy endings only. 
Back in Hebrews chapter 11, these first lists that we stopped at are all the people who were delivered. All the people who, when they faced hardship and difficulty, God bailed them out. God delivered them. God did incredible works. But look, as we continue on in verse 35, it says the word others, others. That means others of a different sort. That word for others, others of a different sort, totally different people, were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens in the caves of the earth. And all these, having attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These, even as they held to the promises, the truth of God's word, applying the truth of God's word, lived their lives and were not delivered. Live their lives holding fast to the truth of God's word, believing in the promises that didn't come until after they had passed. Looking for Jesus Christ who, who came after their lives, the prophets and the priests that went before. Stephen would fall in one of these categories. A man full of faith, full of grace, full of power, both hands on the Lord, turn his back on the world, living his life for Christ. And he is going to die. And God is not going to spare him. He is going to die. And if you could ask Stephen, he would tell you that he was happy to do so. Why? Because he's following Jesus. You remember where Jesus went? He went to the cross. He died. He gave all for us. So that we can be faced with the choice to give all for Him. We were bought with a price. Stephen, as he's ministering to the people, as he's pouring out his heart to the people, as he's teaching and, and preaching, it says there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. So a group of guys from probably several different synagogues are all upset about what Stephen's teaching. Why? Because he's, he's preaching Christ. He's preaching that Christ crucified is the means by which our sins are forgiven. Not an animal sacrifice, not a tradition, not a ritual, but a relationship with God. The fulfillment of God's word that had been brought forward to this point. And he's teaching it. And as he's teaching it, these guys are arguing with him. They begin to, to have a dispute. They begin to talk about it. Oh, come on, Stephen, what are you talking about? And, and he would continue to share. And he would continue to talk to them. But the scripture tells us, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They couldn't answer him. They couldn't dispute with the, with the reasoning that he had. They didn't want what he had. But they could not argue with it. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that we overcome the enemy. By the blood of the Lamb. The word of the testimony. And that they do not love their lives to the death. That's how we overcome. That's how Stephen overcomes. He's sharing. They don't want to hear it. But listen, there was a guy in one of these synagogues who was present when Stephen was arguing. Of whom it is said that one of the greatest rabbis of all couldn't keep this young kid in books, in scrolls. He was constantly burning through them. He had a zeal and a hunger for God. But as he stood before this, this guy, this guy with no education, with no training, with nothing special at all, this young man named Saul had no answer. He couldn't dispute. Well, he argued. 
He argued. He was there. Probably the synagogue of Cilicia. That would have been where he was from. So he, he's there and he's arguing with Stephen and he's, he's taking part in what's going on. And listen, it says that then they secretly induced men. That's a way for saying they bribe guys to tell lies. They bribe guys to tell lies. Secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They're charging him with blasphemy. Anybody from Old Testament studies remember what the, what the punishment for blasphemy is? Death. They're charging Stephen with a capital crime because they can't answer the spirit that's within him. What's the spirit that's within him? It's the Holy Spirit moving through a man who's let go of a hold on the world, let go of the desire for gold and a bigger house and and a nicer car. Maybe the Lord would give him all those things too. But that's not what he's serving. That's not his focus. His focus is the Lord. And what was he picked from the church to do? Give widows food. That's it. Every Wednesday night from 5 to 6, people from a church come. A meal is prepared and the people of the community, if they're hungry and desire a hot meal, they come. And people take those plates full of food and bring them to the people who are hungry. Men, women, children, whoever it is. And they set it down in front of them. Any one of those people serving that plate of food could be Stephen. He's not made of some metal other than that which we all are made of. He was a man who let go of the world. And grab a hold of God for all he was worth. He let go. And God moved in power. He let go and he was able to blow away a young man named Saul. In a few weeks when we finish chapter 7. We're going to see that when the day that they stoned Stephen. Where did they lay their coats? Scripture tells us they laid their coats by the feet of a young man named Saul. There's no question, he's there, he's a part of it, and his life won't ever be the same because of Stephen letting go and grabbing a hold of God for all he's worth. Applying the, the promises that he said, even though we may not see the fulfillment of those promises in our lifetime, we know that he's promised better things. And so they live their life holding on to a promise. And letting go of all this other stuff that we think is so important. That's what brought power into the church. Don't you see? The apostles, they were all already doing that. And we want to make excuses. We want to say things like, well, that's it. They had to stop with the apostles. It couldn't go past. Well, you got a problem. What are you going to do with Stephen? Not an apostle. But he's doing the same things the apostles were. Jesus said, these things you've seen me do and greater you will do. And Bible expositors to this day try to limit the power that Jesus wielded and what he was promising to to you and I because they don't see the power moving through the church. Well, maybe that's because the church is not imitating Christ. Maybe it's because the church... Is imitating the world. Could it really be just that simple? God is calling for an awakening. Every generation, God has called for an awakening, a revival, an outpouring of His Spirit. And every awakening, revival that has come as, as God's people made a choice. To turn their back on a world and make motivation Christ. They charge him for his work with a capital crime that carries a death penalty. They stirred up the people in verse 12, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him to the council. 
And they set up false witnesses that said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Who does that sound like? Jesus said, If they hated me, they'll hate you. If we have peace with the world, the Bible says, then we are at enmity with God. And if we have peace with God, then we have enmity or battle with the world. There's no way to bridge that gap and have peace in both places. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. He sounds just like the, 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 the trial of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's following him. He admired him. So he imitates him. What did Paul say? Imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. As I follow him, you follow me. Imitate Jesus. Imitate him. Fall in love with who he is. Who he really is. Who the word says he is. And hold fast to the promises of God. In verse 14 it says, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. So they make their charge. They bring up the liars. They bring them before the Sanhedrin. The same ground that Jesus bled on. The same floor that they beat him on. The same place where they had just scourged the apostles. The same place where all these other things had happened. Now Stephen. Just a guy serving meals to widows. But well, there he is, full of grace and power. And they look to Stephen and they say, What is your answer to these charges? And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Wish I could have been there. I wish I could have heard the incredible things that he was teaching so that the, the greatest students of that day had no answer. I haven't run into the greatest students of today running out of answers yet. Maybe because there's just a fraction of that power. In the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we come to a letter of the church of Philadelphia. And that letter to the church of Philadelphia, one of the commendations that Jesus brings to that church is he says, you have a little strength. Just a little. Man, it goes so far. Just a little. Stephen, full of grace and full of power, He's got them all sitting and listening. Every single member of the Sanhedrin, the 70 is there. And he's about to give what still is today the greatest discourse on the history of Israel. Arguably the greatest sermon ever preached by a man whose job it was to give food to widows who just decided I'm going to let go of the world and grab a hold of God I'm going to live my life following him who began to experience the power of God in incredible ways he's going to be the first martyr the first of the church to die for his faith but before he does so, he's going to bear witness to who Jesus is, to what he can do in his life. What's he going to tell him? He's going to explain to him the power of the blood of the Lamb. He's going to deliver unto them the word of his testimony. And he doesn't care about his life. His motivation is to honor God. It's not self. Someone's going to sit on the throne. If it's not Jesus, it's going to be you. And you'll live your life for self. 
And you'll appease the desires of your flesh. Hey, I'm there. The past year, God has been talking to me about some things. Some things in, in my life that He wanted to do. Some strongholds in my life I didn't want to give up. Because I didn't want to give them up. But as I look at the life of Stephen, and as I spend time with the Lord this past week, and just really seeking His desire, I realize I can't go any further if I don't do it. If I don't let go of everything. If I don't let go of it all. Just about the time you think God's done asking you, there will be something else. That's what the potter does to the clay. He cleans out the garbage. Listen, I believe if we as a church let God scrape out the junk and throw it out, and we turn our back on trying to live in two worlds, and we make a choice to live in one, we will see God move in power in our midst. We will see healing. We will see lives changed. We will see all the things Jesus said you would. If we, as a body, will choose to follow Christ because we admire Him instead of following the world because we want to fit in. Hang the world ain't done nothing for me but bust my chops anyway. <laughs> Jesus Christ, He did it all. He did it all. He loved me despite who I am. And I don't care if he ever delivers me. I don't care if my last days on this earth are spent starving to death for food. I will hold on to him with both hands. Because when I pass from this place and see him face to face, it's real. Or it's a lie. If it's real, we should live it like it's real. Watching a commercial on TV. You guys ever see those commercials, Starving Kids? Watching this commercial on TV. Always find it, uh, I don't know, challenging. I wish I could take care of them all. But I happened to be watching a video later on in the week afterwards and in this particular video the, the man challenges those who are watching it. He says, now as you look at this small child on the other side of the world, nowhere to go, nowhere to sleep, no home, walking on, on the side of the road, no place to go. Now I want you to do something. I want you to stop and close your eyes and say, that's my son. That's Joe. He's in Liberia. Or he's in Malawi. Or he's in any other place on the face of the earth. And nobody's going to take care of him. And nobody's going to do anything for him. He's just there alone. And I'm here on the other side of the world. What would I do to get to him? The guy in the video said, If you put a block wall in front of me, I'd claw my way through the concrete to get to my son. I'd call people and I'd say, that's my son, that's my son over there, can you get there? I'll, I'll give you any money, whatever you need, go get to my son. Tell him it's going to be okay. Tell him I love him. Man, there's nothing I wouldn't do. And I know there's nothing you wouldn't do either. Listen. They're all God's kids. And you're his hands and feet. And we make excuses. 
then we change the channel. But the same passion we would feel to rescue our own child, that's what God feels. We can't save them all. He's not asking me to. But He is asking me to care. To have compassion. To realize there's something more important than whatever TV show we're watching. Whatever movie we want to go see. Whatever thing we want to do. There's somebody whose life can be dramatically altered if God's people will say, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I don't care if they think I'm stupid. I don't care if they think this is the dumbest thing I ever, I ever heard of. I don't care if they say you should have something to fall back on. I don't care what they say. When the smoke clears, I want everybody to know what side I'm on. I'm on Jesus' side. I don't care if it's unpopular or not. People say the Bible's got to get more progressive and you got to throw things out and you got to alter things, you got to change things because, come on, we're in the 21st century. We, we, it can't all be true. Well, I say it is all true. Every single, even the stuff I don't like, it's all true. If it's all true, if you believe that like I believe that, then you need to repent like I did. And you need to let go like I did. And you got to say, I, I want to live tomorrow for God, yes. not gold. Yes. I want to live tomorrow for Him. And watch, listen, watch how the world changes. It's going to get uglier, it's going to get meaner, and it's going to hate you more. And God's going to pour out His power in you. And you will see at your time a little child on the side of the road with a home. Because God moved in compassion in your heart and you did something about it. You'll see things change. Because you, like Stephen, will be full of grace and power. Jesus said through Paul in the book of Philippians I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me we remember our Greek lesson about all it covers it all right most things no I can do all things all things he's calling us just like he came to the disciples that day on the, on the Sea of Galilee and he said, come and follow me. The most amazing thing in the scriptures that I read is those guys laid down what? Everything. And what they do? They followed him. What did get them in the end? Death. Oh, that's not quite the end, is it? Because you can't really ever die, can you? Because we live forever. With Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. My challenge is if you believe it, please live it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you as we just come before you. God, we thank you for the re realization, Lord Jesus. God, I just pray your spirit would move. It's so important a concept, God, if we just... If we just take a hold of you for all you're worth. And nothing else is more important. And that we just allow you to tell us what that means practically. Day by day. Yes. You tell us. And I'm, nobody needs to make a list of rules. Well, if, if you're living all for him, this is how it looks. No. If you're living all for him, he'll tell you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. You be obedient. Say yes, Lord. 
Jesus said, I have come that you might be free. I don't always feel free. Sometimes I feel bound up. Why do I feel bound up? Why do I feel... Why do I feel like life ought to be more than what it is? Why do I feel like there ought to be something else? Why do I feel like there's another thing, there's something else I'm supposed to be doing? There's this nagging in my soul. Because Jesus wants me to let go. Let go of it all. He's standing at the Sea of Galilee and I'm the only one there on the shore and he is saying to me, Come, follow me. I can say, not now, Lord. I can say, I got other things I got to get done. I can say a hundred things. Lord, I need this. I need that. Or I can just walk away. I want to live for you, God. With both hands. With both feet. With everything that I am. I want to answer your call. When you say go, I want to go. I want to be who you want me to be. And I pray God. In this room, there are a lot of people like me. Say there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more to this relationship with God than what I'm feeling right now. And maybe I'm living in two camps. And I need to pick one. That it's not just a Sunday thing. It's every day. God meet us in this place. Move by your spirit. Change our hearts. And we we give you. Lord. Precedent. You direct the day. I want to live for God. Ask your blessing and the power of your spirit to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in in a word of worship. And as we do, I encourage you. And it's just a matter of making a choice. That's it. Choose Him.